Praise the Lord. Title of my sermon is Seasons of Life. Seasons. How many like seasons? <laughs> we had another season a few days ago, but now we found a whole new one this morning, right? Praise the Lord. I'm going to read this from the contemporary English version. So they're slightly different. It might be easier just to listen and then go home and read it. But the reason I'm reading from this version is some of the uh, terminology, um, they'll use the word vine dresser or husbandman, some terms that we really don't use anymore. So I would much rather have terms in here that everybody can kind of follow along. So listen to this. It says, Jesus said to his disciples, I'm the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Think about that. John chapter 15, verse 1. I'm the true vine. Now you got to notice when somebody says true vine, what does that tell you? There's also a false one. And we might miss that. I'm the true vine, which means I'm also not the false vine. So there should be a red flag there. True vine, what's the false vine? And his father is the gardener. I bet you've never thought of God the father as a gardener, right? He's the gardener. That means he's walking through the garden daily. A good gardener will do it daily, won't they? So daily, and a really good one, I mean, I've seen a good gardener before. And you're looking around, you're like, man, I don't see a weed in that garden. How does he do that? Well, trust me, it's not magic. His eyes are always on it. His eyes are always watching, and he looks from a distance, and they're like, what in the world is that? It's like, That's a weed. And he's always on top of it. Your father is the gardener. He's always watching his garden. His garden, he's always caring for his garden, always watching. And you've got to begin to picture your God as caring for his garden like that, especially his choice plants. Right? I'm the vine, the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts away every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. But he trims clean every branch that does produce fruit. So we've got to decide which one we want to be. You say, well, wait a minute. I don't want to be the prune plant because pruning is painful. That means he's taking things out of my life that aren't good for me to bear fruit. And I realize that that's painful in my life because there's things I don't want to give up. And you say, whatever the alternative is, I don't want to have pain. I want the alternative. Alternative is you're going to be cut off in judgment. And that's even more painful. So you have a choice here in this story that Jesus is telling you. Either I'm being pruned to make me better and more fruitful, or I'm literally being cut off in judgment and I have no part in what he's doing. And a lot of people want the painless route. There's no painless route. It's one or the other. Either I'm 
not submitting myself to the Lord, and He can't fulfill His purpose for my life, every person on this earth has a purpose for their creation, why God created them. And either we're submitting ourselves to that, or we're pulling back and saying, you know what, no. And so we're either being cut off, or we're being pruned to do great things for God. One or the other. He goes on. But he trims clean every branch that does not produce fruit, so it will, or that does produce fruit, so that it will produce even more fruit. You are already clean because of because of what I said to you. Stay joined to me, and I will stay joined to you. Just as a branch cannot produce fruit unless it stays joined to the vine, you cannot produce fruit unless you are joined to me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you stay joined to me and I stay joined to you, then you will produce lots of fruit. But you cannot do anything without me. If you don't stay joined to me, you will be thrown away. You will be like dry branches that are gathered up and burned in a fire. Doesn't that sound like judgment? I mean, this is a dry branch that just refused to allow God to be a part of their life. And so it really has no ability to be used because the very purpose that God created it for, it's rejected. And, and, this, and He wants it to receive this fruit, but it just won't do it. <clears throat> Verse 7, stay joined to me. Now, now He kind of gives a definition here. Stay joined to me and let my teachings become part of you. So how do I stay joined to Him? My teachings become part of you. Then you can pray for whatever you want. Then you can pray for whatever you want and your prayer will be answered. When you become fruitful, disciples of mine, my Father will be honored. I've loved you just as my Father has loved me. So remain faithful to my love for you. If you obey me, then I will keep loving you, just as my Father keeps loving me, because I have obeyed Him. I've told you this to make you as completely happy as I am. Now I tell you, to love each other as I have loved you, the greatest way to show love for friends is to die for them. And you are my friends if you obey me. Servants don't know what their master is doing, and so I don't speak to you as servants. I speak to you as my friends, and I have told you everything my Father has told me. You did not choose me, I chose you, and sent you to produce fruit, the kind of fruit that will last. Then my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, so I command you to love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord, I pray that you would uh, spring up within me, Lord God, Father, a flow of your Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, that they'll miss me and they'll find you, Lord. Father, they will hear your voice through me and my voice will be distant, Lord. But they'll hear you, Lord. Speak your words, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. There is an example here. Jesus... uh, 
begins to go through the Bible and begins to give examples of who he is and what he is. And so he says things like, I am the way, that he talked about last week. I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the bread of life. He begins to go through all these different I am's. There's seven of them that he goes through and begins to explain what he is and who he is. One of these uh, I am's that he goes through um, is the I am the true vine. And so he wants us to understand something about his qual- his character, who he is, and what he wants us to be in him. And he wants us to understand it through a common thing like a grapevine. So something I came across a little while back that I found really fascinating. How many have ever had a grapevine? And uh, you plant that little twig in the ground, little root system, tiny little twig of a grapevine, and you put it in the ground, you begin to fertilize it, it begins to grow. And, um, and basically, when you plant the grapevine, if you've never done it before, I have a um, trellis that I built for some Niagara grapes, which is that nice white grape juice that you drink normally from the store. I have a, a line of uh, Concord grapes, which is that good uh, grape juice that we'll be drinking today is from a Concord grape. Um, and then I have a good, te- what's called a table grape, a good red grape that's sweet, seedless. You've probably had those from the store. How many like those grapes? And uh, But when you start to raise, uh, start to grow these grapes, you really have to, you have what's called a main leader that you begin to grow. And you begin to build a trellis, <clears throat> and these things will grow crazy. And they'll grow wild, they'll have all kinds of lateral limbs and everything. But what you're really focused on is that one strong stem that comes up from the root system. And you have to train that stem to go up straight. And you want to tie that stem off, and basically, for the life of that plant, however thick that stem system is, that root system that's attached to that one single vine, However strong that is, is how big and healthy the grapes will be for the lifetime of that plant. So you want a real high quality. In fact, the thicker that it gets, it'll start off like a twig. And then it'll begin to grow a little bigger and somebody will start to get grapes that are actually mature enough to eat. And then after a while, that thing will get maybe a half an inch thick, maybe an inch thick. Um, some of the great vineyards around the world, you know, they're really thick vines. And there's one vine that I came across that's the oldest and considered the best vine in the world. It's almost 14 inches thick. It's like a tree. And this uh, particular, um, oh, this particular vine, and I can't remember, uh, what is the name of the place it's at? What if I put that in my notes? Yeah, Hampton Court. It's uh, in Hampton Court in England in one of the royal palaces. And this particular vine was planted in the 1700s. And it's a 200, it's the oldest and it's the biggest. And it was planted uh, for royalty. It literally was there for the table of the royals in Hampton Court in England. And so they began to grow this, and they actually built a greenhouse around it. 
And they had all kinds of exotic things in there. They had pineapples, because uh, it was year-round because it was a greenhouse. They had peaches all season. Uh, but anyway, of all those different exotic things that grew in there, the only thing that survived was this vine. It's the only thing left. So eventually, it became so strong in that central root that they built the entire greenhouse just for that plant. So now some of its laterals go 250 feet. And they have an entire greenhouse bigger than this entire area here. And the the giant root is at one end. And all the laterals go all the way down trellising this greenhouse. And they basically can't even remove the greenhouse because the entire thing has taken control of the greenhouse. And get this. This particular plant... Even though it's 250 years old, last year it produced five to 700 bunches of grapes, and that is uh, five to 700 pounds of grapes. In its best year, in 1798, it produced 1,800 bunches, and another year it produced 2,245 bunches. That's somewhere around... 2,500 pounds of grapes from one plant. And you say, well, what's this have to do with anything? There has been an ancient plant, the vine of God. And it's Jesus. And it's grown from the very beginning. This root of this Messiah has been growing and growing and growing. And it is strong and it is powerful. And it's full of the Holy Spirit. Sap that runs through it is the Holy Spirit. And it's the life of this Messiah. It's the life of Jesus. It's been prophesied from the very beginning. And from the very beginning, anybody that attached themselves to that root moved in the power of the Holy Spirit and God transformed that life. And God was able to bear fruit and it's the only fruit that pleases God. There's no fruit that we can produce that is edible at the royal table than that particular root. That's it. We can't please God, it says there, without faith. Without being in that root, we can't please God. And you say, well, how is that? Because the Bible says without faith it is impossible to please God. That means I have to trust what He says about my life. I have to act on that trust and whatever is produced from my faith in His Word, and I act on, that's acceptable to God. You say, well, wait a minute, I thought I was supposed to be perfect in the law, and that would be acceptable. The Bible says if you want to go that route, go ahead, but you're going to fail. The Bible says that any man that tries to please God by fulfilling the law, you won't be able to do it. And Jesus says, if you're in Me you will please God and the fruit of the Spirit will begin to grow in your life. So this is an ancient root, and Jesus says, I am the true vine. So when He says, I am the true vine, we've got to figure out, what's the false vine? And I think the Bible gives an indication because God planted righteousness and truth, and God planted the way to God, and and Jesus says, I was that way. I was that truth. I was that life. I was the only way 
to please God from the very beginning. It was me. He's saying some pretty bold things. Jesus is saying from the Garden of Eden when man was first created, I was the way, the only way, the only truth, the only life, the only light, the only way to God is through me. So either reject him or figure out why he says that's the truth. And so this ancient root is there, and Israel was planted in a vineyard in that root system. They were to follow the Messiah. They were to follow God. They were to have righteousness through God, through faith from the very beginning. And they rejected it. And this is where you begin to see the formation of the false vine. Now remember, when Israel hears, I am the true vine, they got incredibly insulted. You say, well, how is that? They couldn't have been that mad. Because when they hear vine, that means Israel. And when they hear, I'm the true Israel, then they're really insulted. It's almost like saying, I'm the real eagle. United States, you're the false eagle. Wait a minute, we're the eagle. We're the United States of America. It's on our coins. The eagle is our bird. You're not the real eagle. We are. Okay? I'm playing it up here, all right? Just bear with me. Their uh, coins actually had vines on it. Their uh, symbol of their nation was the vine. When they said the vine... That was Israel, and he was basically saying, I'm the real vine. I'm the one that Israel was supposed to follow. I was the one that God wanted you to uh, be buried in and, and receive power and strength and, uh, and, and righteousness through me, but you rejected me. And here's what it says. Uh, go to Isaiah 5, chapter, chapter 5, verse 1 through 7. It says this. This is uh, God is about to bring judgment to Israel. And he's trying to explain to them, here's why I'm not pleased with you. And he says, this is called the song of the vineyard, the Lord's vineyard. It says, now I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My beloved has a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. Do you see that God gave them everything they needed to do the right thing? Gave them everything they needed to be, to be um, successful in their growth and their fruitfulness. He's given us today, I mean, no, we've been given everything to be successful and be fruitful in God, but we've got to understand what God expects out of us. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill, He plowed the land. Now, who's the gardener here? Jesus is following these Old Testament stories here. The gardener is God Himself. Now, imagine God plowing the land and clearing the stones and planting the best vines. In the middle, He built a watchtower. He carved a press in the nearby rocks. You see that He's preparing Himself to have a wonderful harvest here. He planted a press, he built a press expecting great grapes, right? He built a watchtower to watch it from all directions. He's talking about us here. I planted you in the best soil. I gave the soil this word because I expect all of your lives to produce good fruit. I want you to produce wonderful fruit, great fruit. I 
plowed the ground. I've cleared the area. I put my choicest vine there. I put a watchtower there so nobody will be able to... The Bible says that there's no power in hell, in heaven, anywhere in between that can affect you. I put you in a place and you are protected to serve me and grow in me. In the middle, I built a watchtower. Then I built a press in the nearby rocks. Then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. Now the people of Jerusalem and of Judah, you judge between me and my vineyard. What could I have done more for my vineyard than I have already done? See what he's saying here. I've done everything. I've chosen you. I put you in fertile soil. I'm giving you everything you need. In fact, the Bible says He's given us everything for godliness. To be able to live this life and be successful. And he says, what more could I have done? I've done everything I can do. But there's something on the part of that vine that has rejected God. And they became bitter. And it says... What more can I do than I've already done? What I ex- when I expected sweet grapes, why did my vineyard give me bitter grapes? Now let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will tear down its hedges. How many of you know you have a hedge around you right now? If you didn't have protection around you, do you know the enemy is so hateful and Satan is so violent and so cruel that if he had his way, he would just cut your throat? You, all We all have some measure of protection because the enemy would just immediately destroy you if you didn't. That's how vile the enemy is, is. The enemy would wipe you out in a split second if God didn't protect you this moment. And it says, I, had a, I will tear down the hedges. I will let it be destroyed. Its walls will be broken down and the animals will trample it. I will make it a wild place where the vines are not pruned and the ground is not hold, a place overgrown with briars and thorns. How many think the world around us is like that? You say, man, I don't want to be pruned of God. I don't want God to have any input in my life. I don't want God to change my behavior. I just want to do what I want to do. And God's saying, I don't want that. I don't want that for your life, but you have free will. And He says, I'm protecting you right now even though you hate me. But they're coming in trying to destroy you. That's why I built a watchtower. So I'm going to let my protection begin to slowly be removed. And this is an act of God's mercy. So how's it God's mercy? Because if you stay protected and you're running from God, you'll be more emboldened to be against God. You'll be more emboldened to rebel. And man, when God takes His protection down, and I receive the pain of not having protection around me, then I might turn to God. So how is that possible? Well, if I get really sick, or if my family gets destroyed, or my marriage gets destroyed, or my, um, the behaviors of my children's out of whack. Things in life had a tendency to draw you to somebody that can actually help you in your life. And the only one that can help us is God. 
in most situations. And so God is allowing His merciful hand to say, I'll take away my protection little by little. I'll let the enemy in. I'll let it grow wild. I won't prune it. And see, this is what the, the person that doesn't want God in their life says, let me go. Let me do what I want to do. Let the weeds grow up. Don't prune me. Don't tell me anything about my life. Don't help me, God. I want to live a life without God. I don't even believe in God. I don't want Him in my life. God's saying, I have to show you what it's like not having me in your life. Not having my counsel. Um, Some of us think we're so smart that we can live life without God. And we're not. And so this vineyard, look at another one here from the... Actually, I didn't finish that one. I will... I will command the clouds to not drop any rain on it. The nation of Israel is the vineyard of the Lord of the heaven's armies. The people of Judah are His pleasant garden. I expected a crop of justice, but instead I found oppression. I expected righteousness, but instead I heard cries of violence. Do you see that He is rejecting this vine? So when Jesus says He's the true vine, He's saying whatever Israel did, they weren't my true vine. They weren't plugged into me. They were plugged into their own thing. And sometimes as Christians, you know, if you're not a Christian, you're definitely not plugged into the vine. But sometimes as Christians, we're not plugged into the vine either. And they thought they were plugged into the vine, but they really weren't. They didn't really have the Holy Spirit flowing through them. And they got farther and farther away from God. So then look at um, Ezekiel. About 150 years later, Ezekiel 15 says this, This message came to me from the Lord, Son of man, how does a grapevine compare to other trees? How many have ever had the wood of a grapevine? You ever made anything out of it? Not much you can make out of it. Wreath. (laughs) You can make a wreath. But he's asking him the quality of the wood on this grapevine. And he says, Compare this to other trees. Is the vine's wood as useful as the wood of another tree? Can the wood be used to make things like pegs to hang up a pot or a pan? No, it can only be used for fuel, but even as fuel, it turns out it burns too quickly. Vines are useless both before and after being put into the fire. And this is what the Sovereign Lord says to His people. The people of Jerusalem are like grapevines growing among the trees of the forest. Since they are useless, I have thrown them into the fire to be burned, and I will see to it that if they escape from one fire, they will fall into another. I will turn against them. You will know that I am the Lord, and I will make the land desolate because the people have been unfaithful to me. I, the Sovereign Lord, have spoken. He's saying that your purpose was to know me. Your purpose was to be in me. Your purpose was to bear fruit. And so our purpose as Christians is God wants us to bear fruit. And if we don't bear fruit, we don't have a whole lot of other purposes. (laughs) Okay, He's saying the wood, you really can't make anything with it. You really can't do anything with the grapevine except make a wreath. That's about it. The wood is very low quality and it's just a vine. It's just a... Like I said, it's just a mess. I don't know if you ever pruned or not. I've got them all over my yard right now. I pruned one day really quickly and left them all in the grass. Now the wind's blowing them everywhere, and, and so I've got vines everywhere. But um, 
So he's saying that we have a purpose as Christians. And our purpose as a Christian is found in bearing fruit. And so if we're not bearing fruit, we're not fulfilling our purpose. And so at this point, we stop and we start questioning our walk with the Lord. We say, oh man, I've got to go out there and start preaching the gospel and winning the lost. I've got to start working harder to do this. I need to start working harder to do that. And we start, start getting all these ideas on how can I please God. And Jesus is saying, listen to what I'm saying here. Listen to the method that I have for you to bear fruit. And it's all in the example of this grape tree, this grapevine. Look and, look and learn from me. I am that great. He's the greatest vine that ever lived. That 14-inch diameter grapevine that has 250 feet uh, lateral limbs to it, branches, he's bigger than that one. He produces more fruit in the world. Look, if this church will get planted in that vine, we'll so cover our homes, we'll so cover our lives, we'll so cover our families and our workplaces and our world and our nation. If we will get planted in that root and that sap from that great ancient root, if you think the one in the palace is great and meant for royalty, Jesus Christ, if you'll plug yourself and your life in Him, we'll bear more fruit than we'll ever bear going to try and do it ourselves. You want to go out and try to impress people with how many people you can preach to? That's not what he's talking here. He's talking about getting full of the Spirit that flowed through Jesus Christ, planting yourself in the root and falling in love with Him. And he's going to give a pattern here of exactly how we can plant ourselves in Him. And the very first thing he says is, the thing that makes us draw back. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. Okay, I'll know. What's the first step? Tell me. And we turn off when we hear the first step. Because we don't see that either we're cut off from God or He's pruning us. And this is where the seasons of life come in. The seasons of life. If you want to be a person who prunes your plants and you're starting today... You've already missed the boat. If I were to go out and prune my plants today, sap is running all through those limbs. The sap during the winter goes into the root system. And so pruning time is during the cold, dead, dark, ugly winter. If you want to prune your grapes, you better do it in January because all the sap is out of the limbs. You say, well, man, that doesn't mean anything to me. You know, if you fertilize those trees past early spring, like you can fertilize them once, and you might even be able to do it twice, but you better do it in early spring because what's going to happen is that fertilizer is going to make those things bloom later and later into the year, and you're going to mess up your plant because your plant has to have a time where it stops producing fruit. 
and it goes dormant. See, you're still on the vine. You're still on the vine and you're still His special choice limb. In fact, you go in there and you begin to prune a grape arbor, okay? you got the central root and that's the most important thing. That central root's got to be straight and you got to take some choice limbs on it. You'll pick out the best ones. So, man, that's the one. That's my baby right there. And you build these trellises to run them long distances because all of your... Um, Grapes are going to grow on that limb, okay? And the longer it can be and the bigger the central leader. You see what I'm saying here? Jesus Christ was the only one that was straight enough. He was the only one that was full of the Holy Spirit. He was the only one that can feed us. His life is the only one we can plug into that's going to change us and make us acceptable to God. And that central leader gets up there and then you look at it and you say, man, my choice vines, which ones are they? Oh man, this one, that one. And you pick out about four or six. Everything else has to go. And here's what I'm telling you. You are that choice line. You are, you say, well, who is? For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. I'm so glad it says whosoever. Whosoever believeth in Him. You say, I can be his choice, fine, but I'm a prostitute. You'd realize some of his closest disciples were originally prostitutes. Some were originally rough fishermen. Some were tax collectors who was worse than all those groups. All right, they were greedy as could be. You're my choice, fine. He said, I've chosen you. You're the one that I picked. If you'll receive me as your Lord and you'll build your life around my teachings, you're my choice vine. But here's what I have to do now. Because you're my choice vine, i got to start cutting away the things that you think are good. You say, well, I'm done then. Well, you're going to be cut off. You're either being pruned or you're being cut off. You're either being judged as somebody who's rejected God or you're allowing God to have a part of your life. And God says, if you'll let me prune, if you'll trust me enough to let me prune you. And so he comes in, and, and man, you got to be real careful what you cut that with. you got to have a sterile blade. you got to keep rubbing it with sanitizing solution because the diseases can get in it. And you need something really sharp. I mean, you got to have a really sharp. Man, that's what that is. It says we worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so the Word of God is that sharp instrument that comes in and says, you know what? You're a little angry person. No, I'm not. Do not call me angry. No, really, you you got temper problems here. No, I don't. And it's when you're stressed, that's when it happens. Shut up, don't tell me that. Don't preach on anger. But see, that's God's allowed me to be like that little... Sharp, ugly tool. Some of you have called me that when you left here. Sharp, ugly little tool. <laughs> That's all right. It's all right. You can laugh. I am doing my job, right? But God starts taking out the anger, the bitterness, the lust. And you say, "Well, man, does He get rid of all of them?" Then I'm pleasing to God. No, it's a seasonal thing. 
But no, I want him to get rid of all of it so I can be proud of myself and I can show everybody how wonderful I am and how great I am and how religious I am. God says, no, this is something we do every season. When's it happen? Whenever it looks like you have a leafy green limb that has no fruit. Oh, but I, have you ever seen how healthy a grape looks, a grape, uh, grapevine? when it has all these leafy green limbs on here that have no fruit. In fact, uh, somebody was walking through my orchard the other day. I had about 20 orchard trees. And they were saying, man, they all look uh, bad except for that one. And I said, oh, I said, well, that would be the one I didn't prune. Every other one looks like I killed them because I pruned them. They're the healthy ones. The one that I didn't prune because I ran out of time It's full and beautiful. I said, yeah, that's the one I didn't prune. That's why it looks so beautiful. But the other ones are broken. (laughs) And when does it have to happen? Why does the pruning always happen during the winter? It's like, why does God do all His most important work when I'm going through something hard? So like, I'm trusting God. I'm doing really well. I look beautiful. I got all these things that people look at me and say, what a great man. Man, I'm really making it. i got so much money right now. I'm buying things. People are looking at me and saying, man, that guy's really blessed. Look at all the things he has. And God's like, uh, in fact, you ever pruned, it's like quick. It's like you see somebody knows what they're doing and you've never pruned before and you're like, hey, look at my tree and show me how to prune. Snip, 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 snip. One, let's see, we'll keep these five and we'll cut these other 30 off. And it's quick. It's like, God, I don't understand that. Man, I, I don't have anything to be proud of anymore. People thought I had a lot of money because all the things I bought and thought I was doing really well. And God was saying, yeah, you actually were going closer to not having any fruit in your life. But I had all these things. God said, yeah, but do you realize when I prune, all the energy is going to a limb that's never going to grow fruit and it's going to be thrown into the fire. But when I prune, all the energy now is going to fruit production. And so here's what's going to happen seasonally, church. This is the seasons of life. Every season. And the only way a tree can be 250 years old and have a 14-inch trunk is they did it every year for the whole life of that tree. It helps having a royal staff and, and stability in your government, all right? Uh, my trees don't have stability of government. <laughs> okay? I've learned more what, what not to do. But if God is faithful, and every year of your life you have a pruning period, He can make you really fruitful. And if you learn how to allow God to bring that kind of pain to you and still be happy, so what's it going to take off? Oh, there's going to be a lot of things in your life that you think are good for you. In fact, you've got a lot of mileage out of your temper. It hit me one day. God had the scissors over my head. And He was like, I'm going to cut that off your life. I'm like, God, you don't know how many things I've gotten from my temper. I always get what I want with my temper. I'm just being honest. Because everything you do in your life, you do it because you think it's good for you. And I read in the Bible one day, it said that uh, the anger of man accomplishes nothing. And it made me mad. I was mad because I had accomplished an awful lot. 
I'd had people that I intimidated. I had people that I threatened. I had people that gave me what I thought was respect, but really was fear. And God just told me one day, hey, tell me all the times in your life that you accomplished something with your temper. And somehow God showed me how ugly it was because I'd noticed every situation I realized I'd hurt somebody. Yeah, I got my way, but I hurt somebody. Always hurt somebody. And so I began to say, you know, God, you can take the intimidation. That hurt. And God began to humble through situations. And it's still, every year that uh, anger grows back a little bit. God says, well, it's time for your annual pruning. And He begins to take it and cut again and cut again. And, and some, of you, some of you have felt the uh, pruning every year in the area of lust. You say, man, I'm an awful person because it keeps growing back. Lust, lust, lust. And God's going to be there always saying, hey, I'm back. Well, you here, God, because it's trying to grow again. And I want to remove it completely. I want you to grow fruit in your life, real good fruit in your life. Anger, hey, I'm back. And see, these, these seasons of life, it's going to seem like the Holy Spirit's withdrawn. Because that limb doesn't have any sap in it. It's part of a root system that has sap in it. But it's withdrawn from the limb so I can prune it. Do you understand that? If it doesn't withdraw from the limb and I can prune it, and I prune it when it's got the, the, the uh, sap in it, I'll cut it and sap will just keep dripping on the tree and cause all kinds of problems. Just very bad for the tree. You get diseases and sicknesses. And, um, but you say, man, what's it feel like when he's pruning It'll feel like the Holy Spirit's withdrawn from you. It'll feel like that I'm a bad person and, and I don't deserve God and I have missed the mark and, and I have fallen short of the glory of God. And you know what? You're right. You're right. You've fallen short of the glory of God. You don't deserve Him. You don't have a right to Him. You don't have a right to heaven. You don't have a right to His inheritance. And Jesus says, it's okay. You're in Me, and the Holy Spirit is in Me. And that little season, how many have ever been in a season where it says, man, I've failed, I'm away from God. And it just feels like you're that lonely little tree in that little winter orchard. And he's cutting everything off, and then man, here comes the Holy Spirit back. But it's important for your faith to go through that. I mean, know that. It's important for that to be withdrawn so your faith has to reach out and say, am I going to trust Him or am I going to abandon Him? And man, you go through that hard season, I say, I trust Him, I trust Him, I trust Him. I'm in the root system here. And then man, here comes spring. I'm full again. And now I'm ready to bear fruit. And God's going to do this every season, church. Some of you are not responding well to the pruning of God. Some of you are not responding well to that moment of, of um, that moment of a, of a faith. Um, what's the word? Faith crisis. Those moments of faith crisis are the pruning periods. 
The, mo- mo- the moment of faith crisis is where you decide, am I in Him or am I not in Him? Do I want to be pruned or do I want to be cut off? Do I want to live for Him? Do I want to change? Do I want to be transformed? Do I want to bear fruit? Do I want to have something in my life that's real? Turn to Galatians 5. We'll begin to see what God's trying to do here. This is the fruit that He's trying to build in our life. And I've got, to, I've got to begin to tell you, there's not a single fruit on this page that I'm going to read that we can have naturally. It starts out with love, peace, and joy. And you say, well, I've got love. Not the love that he's talking about. You've got love for your family. You've got love for people that are close to you. But this one's different. This is the kind of love that you would die for a stranger over. I mean, this is the kind of love that's supernatural. And he says very bluntly that if you're not in me, you won't have love. This is the kind of love that says, I want to change. The kind of love that says, I want to be like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. I want to live my life sacrificially for people that I don't even know. And this is a fruit that can only be gained by building yourself around him. In fact, he says, abide in me. So if you abide in me and I in you, you will begin to exhibit all this fruit. Not one of them. It's not an individual fruits. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Because all of these will begin to grow in you. And he says, but you must abide in me. Well, that word abide, when they use it in another place in the New Testament, they ask Jesus in one place, where are you going to abide tonight? Where are you going to stay tonight? You understand, abiding in Him means I built my home around Him. I built my home around His teachings. I built my home around His life. I built my home about how He lived. My opinion went out the door a long time ago. I've got a lot of opinions and they're mostly wrong. Everybody in the world's got an opinion. All I care about now is what's His opinion. And it says if you'll build your life around that, you'll abide in Him, you'll live in Him, He'll begin to let fruit grow in your life. And so the first one is love. The second one is peace. You say, well, I have peace. Your peace is based on what's going on around you. God wants to give you a peace in the midst of the worst crisis, like pruning. You say, well, what's pruning? It's losing your job. It's not having any money. It's uh, having somebody that intentionally, the powers of hell have anointed them to, to have relationship with you. I mean, I ever went to work and somebody is so mean. These are the crisis I'm talking about. And God wants to give us supernatural peace that's not connected to our circumstances. And I can only get that by abiding in Him, living around His principles. Joy. You say, well, I'm happy when everything's going well. Everything's going good, I'm pretty happy. Not the one He's talking about. That's called happiness or fun. He wants to give you joy, unspeakable, full of glory, any circumstance, any time. God wants to fill us with the joy that is supernatural. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Then you look the page before that or the verses before that. 
It says, my fingers aren't good for turning pages. It says, but if you're led by the Spirit, you're under the law. Now, the work are, you're not under the law, but the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, hatefulness, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviousness, drunkenness, sexual immorality, things like these, I warn you as I warned before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Without Christ, that's the fruit that's growing in us. It's bad fruit. It's bitter fruit. It's the fruit that he said he went to his garden and hoped to find righteousness growing there and sweet fruit. And he came to our lives and began to inspect and say, it's just not here. And so God wants us to abide in the vine. In fact, I should look at my notes more often. Listen to this. Consequences of not remaining in the vine. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 to 10, listen to this. He's talking to the religious people who were supposed to be in Him and the Holy Spirit was supposed to be flowing through Him. Listen to this. You brought of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit that is in keeping with repentance. And then he says, the axe is already at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. You realize he's talking to the religious people there? How can you be religious and not have the Holy Spirit flowing through you? How how many know that happens every day in churches? We don't have the Spirit of God flowing through us. That sap is the Holy Spirit that produces the fruit. Now, what happens when we remain in the vine and what's it look like? And he says it in these verses that I read in verse 9. He says, as my Father has loved me, I have loved you. Remain in my love. Jesus wants us to stay connected to His love. If we're remaining in the vine, the first thing He says is that we're going to love like He loves. Like He loved us, we're going to begin to love other people. The second thing He says, if you're in the vine, you will will be obedient to my commandments. He said, if you obey my commands... You will remain in my love. And then he says, if you remain in my love and you're obedient, he said, great joy will rise up in you. Do you see what's happening here? Love, self-control, joy. It's all the fruit of the Spirit. Everything we read in Galatians is beginning to grow in this life because they're in the Lord. Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet this morning. I should have read my notes. I was trying to figure out what I missed. Praise the Lord. Stand to your feet. Worship team. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you today, Lord God. Lord, as we prepare this morning to take communion, Lord, Father, I pray that this church would truly commune with you, Lord. Lord, that we'd have a desire to be in your presence, Lord God. Father, that we would um, 
Father, be less concerned about what people think about us, Lord, and, and be more concerned about what you think about us, Lord. Lord, that we would place our lives in front of you, Lord God. We would uh, want to hear your voice. We would want to hear your words, Lord God. And Father, every day that we would draw closer to you and let your spirit flow through our lives, Lord God. So many times we're eager to work, Lord God, but we're not eager to let you work, Lord. Father, give us an awareness of that today. In your name we pray. Amen. I just want to ask you this morning, before we take communion, we um, sometimes we're in, what God was really speaking to me through this message is, sometimes we're so busy trying to do the work of the Lord. Sometimes people come in here and wonder, why do we worship so long? Let me think that. People say, why do we worship so long? People come in here and say that. Do you know that? And here's why. Because when we begin to worship the Lord, that's one of those times God's been able to communicate with us. He's begun able to talk to us, begin to open up things in our life like a loving father would. And God's wanting to examine our hearts and God wants us to open up to Him. God doesn't want us to be far away from Him. How many know that? And so that time of worship, if you're not participating, if you're not, it, it takes me a little while to forget everybody's in the room. How many are like that? It takes me a little while to forget everybody's in the room. It takes me a little while to get over the religious exercise of going to church on Sunday. And after a while, I just forget everybody's here. After a while, God begins to speak to my heart. After a while, God begins to change me. That spirit begins to flow in me. That sap begins to move in me. That sap begins to produce fruit in me. It begins to say, hey, Chad, you don't love well enough. How many love it when God says, you don't love well enough? Or how many of you say, I resist it. God, don't ever tell me I'm not someone who loves people. Or God says, you know what? You're not patient enough, Chad. Oh, I love it. I know God loves me. I know God wants me to bear fruit. God wants me to do great things. And sometimes we're so worried about going out and doing some kind of great work that people will look at us. We don't ever spend time with the Lord and let God begin to lovingly change us. Lovingly know His voice. Hear His voice. And so as we come to take communion today, if you just bow your heads, I just want to... I want to go through a prayer here. And maybe uh, some of you, you're, you're, not, you're not right with the Lord. And I just want would, would everybody close their eyes. I, I, don't want to, I want everybody to have a little bit of privacy this morning. Maybe you've never given your heart to the Lord. And you say, man, how do I do this? Here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to build your house around Him. He wants you to build his, your house around His teachings. He wants you to say... I'm wrong and you're right. You've been right your whole life and God says it's time for you to say, I'm right and you're wrong. The Word is right. God's got great things for your life and if you're not right with the Lord this morning, you say, man, I don't know if I can take communion. I haven't been in the Lord. I'm going to give you an invitation this morning. If you mean what we're praying this morning, you can ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life and you say, well, how do I do it? We'll begin to teach you how to read your Bible. You'll come to church and God will begin to pour things into your life. And you just got to be faithful to say, God, 
I open my life up to you. Let my let your spirit flow through my heart right now. And you can do that this morning. We're going to say a prayer. And if you've never given your heart to the Lord, I just ask you to, to change your direction. The Bible says repentance is going one direction completely and turning around and going the other direction completely. And he says if you're faithful to confess your sins and repent, I'm faithful to forgive you and you can be in me. I'll give you my spirit and you can live this life. So we're going to pray this morning. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, I want you to pray this prayer of meaning. We're going to take communion. And that's the promise that God's Spirit's going to flow through us and change every one of us. Every one of us are going to change. You say, well, don't I have to work really hard? No, all you have to do is receive God's Word into your heart and be obedient to His Word. Does that mean I'm going to be perfect? No, it just means I'm open to the flow of the Holy Spirit. I'm open to this sap that's going to bear fruit in my life. And I'm going to do it till the day I die. And every season, I'm going to let Him prune me. Because He loves me. Pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, I come before you today. You can say it with me. If you're already saved, you can say it with me. It'll encourage your neighbor if they I understand I'm a sinner. I understand that I've missed the mark. But I understand you died for my sins. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I'm turning to you for help. Fill me with your spirit. Let me grow fruit of righteousness in you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. If my my, uh, men would come up here, they're going to help me, my leaders. Praise the Lord. I couldn't remember whose name I called them. Okay, Jason and Randy, praise the Lord. They're going to help me this morning. And uh, Oh, actually, I've got to order a little bit. Find you a place. i got to let them serve the elements. Praise the Lord. We're going to take communion this morning, and if you would just freely come forward, we're going to um, just allow everybody to come forward and get the elements. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Has everybody been served? Praise the Lord. You'll have to pardon me this morning. Every once in a while, my messages, I'll just uh, <laughs> go blank. I don't know why. That was a little, uh, mine was a little out of focus this morning. Praise the Lord. How many enjoy taking communion together as a body? Praise the Lord. It's nice as a body to um, always... How many have ever been to a church where it felt like everybody was wearing masks? And you could never be yourself and you were never a family. There's some families like that, right? Man, you just don't feel like you ever can be yourself. You know, maybe they were never able to put the masks down. And One thing I love about this family is we're all able to be family put those masks down real nice. There's no super Christians here. There's just people that love the Lord and are being changed on a daily basis. Praise the Lord. It's a 
That's why it's so wonderful as a family to take communion together. And uh, and I've invited uh, some of our leaders here. We're training up leaders. You say, well, man, who's going to be leaders in this church? God wants everybody to be leaders. And so we're starting off. We have some people that we're training to be leaders in this church. And I'm excited for them to come up and be helping me with this communion. So you'll see that more often. Just be aware of that. They're going to be doing it with We're a family. We're going to be... Uh, doing things as a family as far as leading this church so praise the lord uh who's going to start for i received from the lord what i also passed on to you the lord jesus on the night he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which for you which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we Lord, we thank you so much for the sacrifice of your body for us. We realize, Lord, uh, this this symbol reminds us what you what you did for us. You you took on your body what was meant for our body. And in in exchange, Lord, we get to have a relationship with you. We thank you that and we we honor you now lord uh, with with this communion let's take the bread together God, we thank you that, in a, that we, were in our, we were in our muck, we were in the mire, when we thought of ourselves, we're okay. Lord, you came and died for us. You gave us your only begotten Son. You poured out his blood. that's a wonderful time to take communion just remember he's the vine we're in him we just got to love him um, allow God to begin to flow through us uh, be more and more like him let's just worship one time together and we'll dismiss there's one one quick song here we'll worship real quick Back. yeah let's worship one song here everybody do that
Lord, then I'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, we come to you this morning, Lord. We owe everything to you, Lord. Oh, Lord, you are everything, Lord. Father, I pray that you help this church, Lord, as we um, go into our week, Lord, that we would just, um, Lord, apply ourselves to you, Lord God. Let your spirit begin to flow through this body, Lord. Change us. Bear fruit in your people, Lord. Bless them, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.